a minute, so Revelation 7 here in, in just a moment. I thought that we would take a minute and uh, do a quick but careful uh, recap of, of chapter 6, just to make sure you have a good feel uh, for that now that we're starting to wade deeper and deeper into the imagery and symbolism of the book. I want to make sure that... Uh, no one's left behind in confusion and not understanding what's going on with all of this. Uh, you tell me if having a PowerPoint helps or not. I'm usually against Bible class PowerPoints because I, you're not going to go linear. So having a screen doesn't work very well because I can't make it go particular directions like you see in Wednesday nights. But uh, sometimes that can be helpful for you, though, to see what's going on, particularly with this. So uh, in chapter six, we are first introduced now to... Uh, these uh, seals. We get six seals that are revealed for us. The first eight verses give us uh, the first four seals. Uh, My summary of that picture would be with these four horsemen depicted that reaches back to Zechariah 1. In Zechariah 1, you see the four horsemen. They are patrolling the earth. They are then Reporting back to God, the report in Zechariah was, all is at peace, which was not a positive, actually. It was a negative because they were wanting God to judge the enemies. Well, you are seeing with these first four seals that very thing now happening. You are getting pictures of of war and death and judgments are now being unfolded. They are now going to go out and bring about uh, these, these judgments. So... And that's what I would just summarize is there's no more peace because God's going to rise up and judge. However, you will notice with that fourth seal that a fraction's given. It says a fourth of these things. And so uh, rather than seeing that as something in particular like we've talked about, we see the fractions in uh, the book of Revelation as describing partials. It's not the whole, but a partial judgment is coming. And we'll get out to chapter 9 where it's going to tell us that the purpose of these these partial judgments was to invoke repentance. But we're not there yet. But uh, I'm leaking ahead to chapter 9 and putting that on the screen for you that that's going to be stated later uh, about why you are seeing the warm-up of, of judgments uh, happen. Questions about the first four seals, what's happening there? Right, pass out test in just a minute. Chapter five, and then uh, seal five is in verses uh, nine through eleven. It's it's pretty straightforward. You have those who are the people of God who have been killed. They're asking for justice. How long until their justice is served? While we're seeing partial judgments, it's not bringing about the ultimate judgment and justice that needs to happen because they have died for the testimony of the word of God. They're proclaiming Jesus Christ. They've died for that reason. And so in that fifth seal, you have a crying out of when these things are going to happen. You will remember that it's not really a time marker that's given, but more of an event that's given until the full number uh, of your fellow brethren are killed is, is the answer. And so more persecutions ahead, more problems ahead for the people of God. Uh, but ultimately, God is going to do something about that. And that's what brings you to the sixth seal in verses 12 through 17. I spent an awful lot of time last week showing you all of those connections to uh, those Old Testament pictures. But when you read that the 
sun will be made black or, or, or go dark and the moon to blood and a great earthquake and stars are falling from the sky and the sky is rolled up like a scroll and the mountains are running and the islands are running and everybody's running and they're all running to the hills. All of that just means you're done. That's what all that imagery is used for in the Old Testament prophecies. Same thing here. A nation is falling. It is over for them. So I want you to kind of see the the picture of of chapter 6 in that. So partial judgments, God is beginning to act and judge. But the people of God are saying, when are you going to bring this persecution to an end? When are you going to bring justice to? Because of our persecutors. And the next picture is it's coming. Lights out for the nation. It's going to be dealt with. And chapter 6 really holds as this big summary of the events that are uh, going to unfold. Questions. Problems. Concerns. Rebukes. (laughs) What do you got? Anything. Feel good. Yes, I would say actually a snapshot of the details of 7 through 11. So it's giving you kind of this overview because as you're reading the end of chapter 6, it's depicting the end of the nation, right? It's sun turned to darkness, moon to blood, over. it's over. Well, there's a whole lot more that's about to happen. So it must be giving us an, an idea of here's what's about to happen. But in chapter 7 that we're going to look at here this morning, there's a but wait. <laughs> So that, I think, is important because then it's telling us, here's how it's all going to go. But before it all happens, something must happen first. And we'll talk about that in chapter 7. And once that event in 7 is done, that will allow for all of these judgments to unfold. So I I would write down that chapter 6 is an overview of what chapters 7 through 11 are going to depict in detail. Okay. Any other questions, comments, problems, issues? Challenges, concerns. So you feel good. It's so easy. I hope it's not that bad, actually. <laughs> I hope you see it's just not that bad. All right. Well, chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that could not, that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. 
and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb is in the midst of their throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All right. So chapter 7 is, a, is an important uh, be, beginning point of, of now you, you are expecting to read in chapter 7. All right, here comes all the judgments. It was all depicted in chapter 6. What in these uh, first four verses are being told to us that needs to happen first and why and what is what is being pictured here as this uh, imagery of Revelation 7 pushes forward now? What's going on in the scene? Okay, so we have the servants have to be marked. Uh, notice the imagery that, that's, that's being given here in verse 1. We have these four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or any tree. And you might notice that in verse at the end of verse two, it tells us these angels are the four angels are the ones who had been given power to harm earth and sea. All right. Well, who are those people? Where did we see them? Chapter six, right? That's the we just. The four horsemen guys or the four angel guys, and they were told to go and do all of this. But then you're being told, hold on a minute. So I want you to get, it's really a neat visual of you, the, the idea of winds just going over the earth is this imagery of judgment. But they're holding them back. Hold on before you unleash all of these judgments of God as they would spread over the earth. Something has to happen first. Uh, and that's what the words of verse 2 are. Another angel says, and he is from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, calls out with a loud voice to them in verse 3, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God uh, on, on, their, on their foreheads. So first, the people of God need to be sealed. So let's talk about that that imagery a minute. How should we understand this uh, ceiling. Yeah, one of the things that happens when you come to the sealing idea is there's a lot of reasons for sealing things in ancient times. And that becomes a little bit of trying to navigate, all right, well, what does the seal mean? And I think what April brings out is is right, is that 
I think the thing we should focus on is more of an ownership and identity. The reason why, uh, well, twofold. Number one, later in the book, there's going to be this whole distinction in chapter 13 and in chapter 14 about who are the ones who have the mark of the beast and who are the ones who have the mark of God. All right. Well, that seems to be that an ownership imagery who belongs to which to which group. And so that seems to be the idea here. The same thing is used in Ezekiel nine, where uh, you read there about uh, God's people needing to be marked before the judgments unfold. Now, what are do you know what some of the other ideas are about what a sealing would do and why you seal things and what that symbolism is? Because we can see if those work or not. Shoot me some of them, Dennis. Back then, whenever something was sealed, like the king had an ordinance, whatever, right. a proclamation, it was sealed right. to give that authority. Okay. This is definitely from the king. So it definitely has an authorization idea. If something has that, that stamp that indicates that it uh, is directly from, from the king. Julie? Not only is it an authorization, but it's protection. Okay. All right, so if there's protection imagery that's used. Uh, you might think about when Jesus' tomb is set and there's a seal that is set across it and part of it is a security protection idea. None has entered this. If the seal is broken, then you know there's been tampering that's happened. And so sometimes seals were used that way. Mike? Uh, it's also on the recipient specific to Yeah, absolutely. So the, the one who has it also has authority. Kathy, did you have something with that? Same thing there. Other ways you thought of with that, Debbie? Uh, in the modern day, police will see a lot of crime scene. Okay. So more protection idea again. You're, you're keeping things pure in that untouched kind of, kind of idea. Uh, Rita? Yeah, ownership. And, and the reason why I'm going to submit to you that ownership and identity are the way to go is because the other primary idea that you all are observing is an idea of safety, security, and protection. All right, well, let's apply that and see if that works. If we're in Ezekiel 9, was God saying, so all my real people of God are not going to die when the Babylonians come in and invade in those three invasions? I don't think so. I don't think the message was... Well, I'm going to make sure my spiritually safe people are not going to experience physical death. But let's use it right here. How do we know that that's not true here? That this is not saying to these Christians, you're not going to die. You are safe and secure. I mean, look carefully at chapter 7. Where are they? Are they alive in chapter 7? They're dead. It says they're before the throne. It says they're not alive in chapter 7. They've already died. So it can't be saying, wait, before these judgments happen, uh, let's make sure that they're, they're sealed so that they're not physically harmed. When we get out, we'll, we'll get there in a few minutes, but when you get out there to verses 13 to 17, it describes them as where they are. They're not on the earth. They're dead already. So the idea of a ceiling and an ownership is, is a, a better way to look at it. However, there is a way to look at it in terms of security. How would you understand them to be secure? They're secure with God. So, and I think that's an important idea. 
though you have been killed and judged by the earth as worthless and unfaithful and of no value, worthy of death because of your faith, God has judged you faithful and worthy and you belong to him. So they're saying you're no good and of no value. Let's get you off the earth. And God is saying, oh, no, you're mine, even though they've judged you that way. I am judging you as alive and faithful, which is a perfect example of Christ. That's what the world did is judged him unworthy. And Christ is raised from the dead, judging him as worthy. Well, how are they pictured? Alive with God. Same, same idea being, being given here. All right. Anything? Or feel good about, about that idea, Charlotte? I'm going back to the four angels. Are, are they the four horsemen? Yes, I say yes. And the reason why I say they are the same is because of verse, th- of, of verse 2. At the end of verse 2, the loud voice is to the four angels who have been pa- given power to harm earth and sea. Well, in the first eight verses of chapter 6, those four horsemen were the ones who were given the power to harm the earth and the sea and the trees and, and all of that. So seems to be connecting because what they're being told is before you unleash those judgments, hold on a minute. We need to identify, mark, set ownership, seal those who belong to me. And once that's set... Then we can unleash the four winds and allow the judgments to go over the earth. Yeah. One more question. These are all created beings. Spiritual beings, yeah. Everything's, God created everything, so yes. Created or spiritual beings, but they're eternal. Absolutely, yeah, they're spiritual beings, yeah, for sure. So, uh, like we talked about, even with the el- the elders and the four living creatures, they're, they're representing something. <laughs> Some kind of distinctions being made of them. Uh, it's not specified exactly what that is, except you are getting imagery of the throne room uh, with the, the elders and the living creatures. And here are the angels and the four horsemen and all of that. Um, I don't know. Sometimes we might think of the heavenly realm as if there's like only, you know, a couple spiritual beings up there, like there's God and, you know, an angel here and an angel there and, you know, just kind of quietly hanging out and hope you kind of got a sense in chapter four. Um, it's really busy up there. <laughs> there's countless myriad spiritual beings who are all singing God's praises and calling him worthy and proclaiming his holiness and Throwing their crowns and everything—it is not a quiet, calm. It's a—it's a massive scene up there, and so yeah, there should be myriads of spiritual beings all doing whatever duty and, and responsibility God has, has given to them. Stan. Right. And so we're, we're, God is saying, I know who belong to me and I'm going to mark them because you're right. Chapters two and three, you saw you have a problem of people who are of the synagogue of Satan who say they are, but are actually not. And even those who seem to be Christians are not, but are lukewarm that Jesus wants to spew out of his mouth. So there is a discerning that is going on of who are uh, his people and who are not. OK, uh, anything else through verse three? 
before we look at the numbering and the people, and that's a whole thing, so we'll have to definitely do that, right, uh, uh, Charlotte? Okay. Uh, the, the devil went into Tarshish to God. Yep. He hasn't been cast down to the earth yet. So do the devil and his angels still have access? Oh, Can I hold that to chapter 12? <laughs> because that's a long answer that I want to give. That's not a, not a bad question, but a long answer. <laughs> and I want to hold that because that comes out in chapter 12. Uh, and yes. yeah, in, in five years, we'll be there. Uh, Mike? <laughs> No, I don't think the four living creatures are, but uh, the four horsemen are connected to uh, these these four angels at the end of chapter two. Uh, so I think they're they're being distinguished. The four living creatures are part of the throne room scene, and if I apply Zechariah one, you have all of this activity in the throne room scene. You have God's messengers who are pictured as patrolling the earth, gathering information, telling God what's going on. Now, again, please use that accommodatively. Obviously, God is not in heaven going, I wonder what's going on down there. I sure hope my horsemen come back and tell me. Uh, It's it's depicting imagery of God knows everything that's going on. It's trying to use how you would have done things in the ancient world. How would a king know what's going on in his empire? Send out the messengers, retrieve the information, act on the information. Well, that's what God is pictured as doing. He has his spiritual beings going out the whole earth. They're described as these four angels. They are seeing what's going on. They're reporting back to God. God says it's time for judgments. And so now they're pictured as as ready to unleash judgments. But then there's this angel who says, hold on a minute. Before we unleash all of those judgments, let's identify and and mark and own and seal the people of God first. I'm going to declare who belong to me, and then these judgments are going to go. Nathan. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then I looked on the mount, on Mount Zion, stood the Lamb, with him, one of the four persons, who write his name, and his father's name written. So so what we're saying is that it is God's name. Mm-hmm. That is on the Yes. So there's an ownership because you have in, in 13 and 14 a, a contrast to those who have uh, the mark or the name or the number of the beast on the other people's foreheads. And so there's a distinguishing between do you belong to the beast or do you belong uh, to God? Now, we'll unfold that in chapter 13. So if chapter 12 is in five years, 13 might be in six. So it would be all right. Mike? Try not to take it. <laughs> yeah, don't take it. It's so, a picture. Picture. The on the forehead, yeah. Is it just because it's the most obvious visible part of the body? Yeah, there, there's a, it's, it's obvious of who you belong to. It also will talk about it being on the hand uh, as well later on. Uh, so, again, it's a visible marking and identity. Um, you might remember that there was actually Israel kind of had that visible representation. What were you supposed to have on your heads as you stood up and lied down and went in the marketplace? 
the law of God was always supposed to be before your eyes. So there was, that's, again, that kind of symbolic idea. Now, obviously, you weren't supposed to wear a box, but they did. Uh, but uh, that was a, a symbol of I belong to God. The law is before my eyes and on my mind and in, in my heart and all of that. Well, that's the same idea of what's happening here in, in a visual. So, uh, yeah, it, it, God's trying to communicate who belongs to me with, with, with that. But uh, important to note imagery, though. I, I won't waste our time, but they say that's actually going to be something written on your head. And they're concerned about chip trackers and things that are going to be embedded in your body so that you can be tracked by the one world government of the Antichrist who's going to be able to know who belongs to him and who doesn't. I kid you not. Go go grab one. They're, they're great. That's good reading. Very, very like, wow. <laughs> I know the first century definitely thought of microchips in the back of people's brains as the natural interpretation when they read that. I mean... You got to work with the audience here, okay? You can't have an answer that requires 2,000 years of technology to be able to be the explanation. They would have never got that. Muriel, did you have something with that? No? Okay. Uh, Charlotte, did you have something with that? No? I was going to say this uh, angel that stopped the four angels, it was from God, so it seems to be a little higher realm than the four angels. If you want, okay. So one of the things that we've talked about is we have to be really careful about deep diving particular images that you miss, miss the image. Um, you know, sometimes we can do that where we get so stuck in a, a detail that you miss with the overall images. So I would just be careful with that, that I don't think the intent is to, to get into, well, why are the trees harmed? All right, let's talk about what the trees okay. represent. And you, you, can, you can do that, and people do, and I don't think that's the idea. I mean, we'll get out where there's a talk about the toes of the image. Of the, I mean, take, take the big picture. Take the big picture. What's the takeaway? What, what's the symbolism? I use 9-11 as an example of that. If you've been here long enough, you know this. 9-11, you remember which airlines they crashed? United? An American. There's a symbolism. Don't miss the symbolism. Don't get stuck in the details that you miss what was the message communicating. You have to be careful with that. There is symbolism that is being intended here. And you could get lost into, well, what kind of plane was it? And what it wasn't the point. It was a basic, simple message being told to us. There's a basic, simple message being imaged here to us about get my people secure and marked and belonging to me. When I read this, I, I can't help but think of what? Yeah. Noah was safe physically. Right. But what was the conversation that happened? You know, we get Joe and we get this. But what was going on behind the scenes before that happened? The flood should be our example. Right. This is what's to come. Right. These are just more fine details. Of it. Exactly. Also, where's Dan in that list? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's 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 go there. Let's let's take on our hundred forty-four thousand. From verse four uh, to verse eight, you have a a numbering that is going on. It is it is a little bit of an unusual listing of the names, right? They're probably not the names if you grew up in Sunday school how you memorize them. They're a little bit odd. Does, 
Dan is, is, is missing, and which one is, is put in there that's not normally counted? Tribe of Joseph, which is particularly odd because Manasseh is in the list, right? But Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So it is curious that you have Joseph, and you would think Joseph would then take care of Manasseh and Ephraim. But they don't, because Manasseh's in here, Dan is out, Manasseh's in, and Joseph gets it. And I think only one other place, maybe Joseph is called like a tribe like that. It's rare. It's pretty unusual for, for that to happen. So clearly the author does not know how to count the 12 tribes of Israel. And, you know, we should, you know, go in with a marker and take out Joseph, put in Dan, and we'd all feel better. All right, so we got to figure out what's going on. 144,000 are the sum of what? What is what's being told to us here? What are we adding together to get 144? Each of the tribes are depicted as 12,000, right? All right. So as you read that, tell me what should be your takeaways. What would be immediately comes to your mind as you hear each of these tribes are listed and it's 12,000 from each tribe. But usually God would either number them to let them out or in terms of going to war. Uh, you see those kinds of numberings, April? 12 is completed. So okay. 12 is Exponential Yeah, this is a very big number. It's, you're using 12s, which are kind of completes. The 12s and 10s usually reflect that. So if you put 12s and 10s together, 12,000, you get a lot. So there's a wholeness that's, that's being depicted. Um, do you think it's communicating that everyone who is a part of these are included, that anybody's being left out? Does it seem like everybody's in, in terms of the tribes? You know, if you, it's not um, 11,999, right? It's, it's not, it's, it sounds like everyone who belongs to Judah is in. Everyone who belongs to Reuben is in. Everyone who, it sounds like each, there's not anybody being uh, excluded, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like there's a shortfall. I wouldn't read that and go, oh, wow, a lot of people are being left out. I would read that as everybody's being put in. If you belong to one of these tribes, you belong. And the naming of the tribes seem to indicate we're not going to miss anybody. We're going to get everybody in. It's not just the tribe's. Or the people of the tribe of Judah, which you might kind of expect, right? Since they're the remnant group that we've been looking at in Ezekiel. It's all of the tribes. It's, it's all of Israel is being pictured as restored and secured and, and marked and, and belonging. Uh, Muriel? And uh, the tribes vary in population. So sure. it, again, it's showing the, the equality. Yeah. Exactly. There's an even representation, right? It's not like our House of Representatives based on population. There's a skewing of how things go. This is like your Senate. Everybody's equal. Everybody's got an equal part of it. Nobody's. And again, that's the same idea, especially because like Simeon is your is your teeny tribe, right? Uh, Simeon's so teeny, you don't even see it anymore. It becomes swallowed up in Judah that when you just say Judah, that just included them. Well, the commentary here talks about as far as Dan and Ephraim not being Yep. Their, their assumption is the fact that maybe it's because of their, their own idolatry yeah. and how far away from God they actually got. Maybe. 
I don't know that there is, I have not found anybody to put reasonable logic on why these and not others and why the order versus, I mean, everybody's got their dart throw. Um, I'm going to go back to what I just argued a few minutes ago, perhaps zeroing in too deeply into the detail and not staying back and looking at, at the big picture. If I'm supposed to figure out why Joseph and not, you know, Joseph's getting double counted, if you will, Manasseh and Joseph, that's a, that's a double count. <laughs> so why is he double counted to the exclusion of others? So I don't know that that's the way to look at it. That's not the way I look at what these names are, are doing. Janet? And this doesn't include Doesn't seem to be, does it? What would you expect if you were to look at this group? Is Jews, right? Israel. Physical Israel is your takeaway. Now, that's really good. That's important. That should be what's hitting your head. Is when you read all these tribes and you read 12 tribes and it's 12,000 from each tribe... I'm expecting to see physical Israel as the people of God. I think that's that's exactly right, Debbie. But physical Israel was so sinful. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. What are they doing here? Right? Okay. I think that I think that's fair. Uh, Rita? I have a question. I put back to Ezekiel 37 where God tells Solomon to write the tribes of Israel. Yeah. Because you Yep. And Benjamin and Judah, would that be included? Where you're saying that you're missing Joseph? Well, and would that be included in the new Ethiopian and Benjamin and Judah since they're now supposed to join together? That's one thing people do, and I'm going to go back to I'm not going to mess with any of that. <laughs> Uh, because there are there are a, a lot of different interpretations trying to reconcile. Well, how do you get these tribes like this? There's not a good answer. So here's what I think is happening. Let me use chapter five as the way to introduce this. In chapter five, there was a proclamation that who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the seals? No one's able to. And the cry out is, don't weep. We have the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And John looks, and what does he see? He doesn't see what he expects. You expect to see the lion, but instead you see the lamb slain. Here's the call of the ceiling. 144,000 from every tribe. 12,000 from this tribe and this tribe and this tribe. All of Israel is sealed. Now look at the very next sentence that happens in verse 9. So John looks, and what does he see? He sees a multitude that can't be numbered. That's not what you expected. And where is this multitude coming from? What's their background? Everywhere, from every nation and tribe. So you're expecting the people of God to be this physical Israel. You turn and look. And it's actually all the people of God, regardless of their background and culture and ethnicity. It does include the people of God who are Israel and the people of God who are Gentiles. It is this this massive number. Now, there's a number of ways we can see that. Number one, when Abraham was given a promise that through him, 
All the nations would be blessed. Do you remember how God said they would be counted? He said there'd be 12,000 and 12,000 and 12,000. Innumerable that can't be counted. His children would be a great multitude that can't be counted. Here's his children all being sealed. 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. I turn and look. And it's this great number that can't be counted. So notice how the two are working together. The first picture is saying there is a totality and a completeness of the sealing. Everyone who belongs to God is sealed without a doubt. But who are the sealed? All the people of God. Now let me prove it. If you go to verse 13... One of the elders comes up to John and says, who are these? Right? Good thing. <laughs> I love when you have the scriptures themselves saying, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> like, good. I was thinking the same thing. I need you to tell me what that means. And John doesn't know either. Notice John's answer. What does he say? You know. It's always good. If God asks you a question, you say, you know. <laughs> I don't know. You know. You tell me what all that means. All right. Who are these, according to verse 14? Is there anything that indicates ethnicity or nation or... No. Who are these? Might might I say, these are the fifth seal saints who've been killed under the altar. These are the people of God who've given their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what it's saying? They've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. I submit to you, washing your robe in the blood of the Lamb here does not mean you were baptized. Your robe was washed in blood because you died for the cause of Christ. And they are now pictured with God in heaven. They are pictured with him around the throne. That's what you see happening there in verse 9. A great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white with palm branches in their hand. Okay, So it's everybody who belongs as God's people. And they are pictured as the ones who have endured and have been faithful through the persecution. So I think you're rolling forward the imagery of the people under the altar, those saints under the altar in chapter 6. This is just giving you a broad vision that the people of God are not exclusive to physical Israel. That's important because you remember what Stan brought up and reminded us of in the letters to the seven churches of Asia. You have the Jews saying, we're the people of God, you're not. And God is saying, They're the people of God and you're not. (laughs) I'm marking who really belongs to me, Valerie. Can you repeat what you just said about baptism? Probably not, but I'll do my best. I'll do my best. The washing your robes in the blood of the Lamb is not here a symbol of these are the people who were baptized. You know, like they came to faith and were baptized. That's that's obvious. They're described as the people. What's that? They have been baptized. Yes, but it's not saying... Hey, everybody, who's around the throne? Well, they're the ones who've been baptized. No, it's saying, here's the ones that are around the throne, the people who've died for the cause of Christ. So obviously they have been baptized and are Christians, but it's pointing to something more than that. Yeah. But baptism is a symbol of dying to Christ. It is. Yep. But this has a tribulation to it, I would think. 
Yeah, you will notice it talks about their their death and their their persecution, and so uh, their activity is that they have been killed for the cause of Christ. So certainly, you know, they're Christians, and but it's it's pushing beyond that. The the picture is not. Well, these are all the people who were baptized. It is these are all the the true Christians, the people of God who have died for the cause of Christ. Now, here's the reason why I think that's important is I think that's going to reach wide because we're talking about all the people of God who have suffered for the for the cause as being thrown into the the circle that justice needs to be given and their blood avenged for, for, for their blood, whether they be the apostles or the prophets. That's what's going to be stated later. And so we're going to include all of, of God's people in, in before the covenant of Christ, after the covenant of Christ. But obviously in the moment, you're going to have here are these people who have died because of what is happening in, in, in persecution. Debbie? I'm confused. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, We've established that this is not talking about the end time, the, the end right. of the world. Right. So all of these things that we're reading, these are things that have happened, are happening, and will happen. And it's all kind of going on at the same time. Okay. Is that right? Um, because when I read this, I'm not sure if I'm reading something that has already <laughs> happened, like when the the... Jews were taken off their land and sent okay. into uh, right. captivity, or is it... So I, I think the way to read it would be to use the idea of, of what you saw in the fifth seal of Revelation 6, which is, are there those who have already died for the cause of Christ? Yes. Are there more that are going to die for the cause of Christ? Yes. So we're standing in the yes and the still to come. So here's a picture of what God is doing is saying, so those who belong to me and are willing to lay their lives down for the testimony of Jesus Christ, they are not pictured as dead and eliminated and rejected. They are pictured as with God. And we're not going to get there uh, for the rest of what's on the screen, Uh, but they're pictured with all of these results from verses 15 to 17. Here are the rewards because they've been faithful. So that includes people who have already gone through that. Here you're encouraging the people in that day saying, my friend, my family member, my whoever that I know who was persecuted for the cause of Christ is alive with God and is enjoying comfort and reward. It's also future encouragement. You too are going to experience the same thing. You're going to go through tribulation and hardship and persecution, but... In doing so, you will be with them, pictured around the throne with God with these with these same results. So I understand the confusion because it's not a straightforward timeline, but it is saying, here's the ones who have already gone through the great tribulation. You see that uh, in verse uh, 14. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. We're not going to have time for that today because I only got two minutes left. So I want to come back to that. And you can imagine what we saw in chapter 2, I think it was chapter 2, maybe chapter 3, one of those. It talks about the tribulation there. You're going to go through tribulation. So it's experienced and still still coming. Okay. Yeah, Vicki? I'd like to say for like you, like a long time ago, they were dying for the Lord. So when they got baptized, they were truly going in, just going and making their lives about the Lord and living for that, going from community to community. 
that's dying for the Lord. Yeah. We're getting baptized and, and studying a little bit. I think it's so much different when it comes to that question. Yeah. Those are the ones that die for the Lord. They really did go out and say, this is why I'm willing to die. So well, you know the Lord exists, and, right? And you, it was useful to keep in mind, Christianity, you are not a Christian because you're baptized. Right. That's just okay. I step on a third wire. <laughs> A Christian is someone who is faithful to the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, will they be baptized? Yes. But entrance into the kingdom is not, you got thrown in water and off you go doing whatever you want to do. That's not how this works. This is not a sacrament by which you're tossed in water and forever saved. So using baptism as a model here would not capture the idea. It's not... Yeah, they were immersed in water. No, it's they are the faithful people of God. Well, are the faithful people of God obedient to God? Yes. Have they been baptized? Yes. Will they give their lives for the cause of Christ? Yes. So that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a bigger idea than just baptism. It's sacrificing life. Julie. Yep. And in here, they're before the throne and they're serving day and night. So yep. I guess that's what it's going to be. Is that the same? Yep. Or? And don't get, again, don't get stuck when symbols and pictures move around. Okay? That, that's that, just like what just happened to us. The four horsemen were now described as the four angels. Don't let that scramble you. Just go, okay, it just told us that. Fine, I'll keep following the story as it is. Same thing here. First, they're depicted as under the altar because they've been slain for the cause of Christ. Well, now God wants to show you a different picture about them. They're before the throne. They're pictured as victorious. They're pictured as, as resting with God. So it's, an, it's another image uh, to layer over it. So, yeah, really try to work with the symbols and all that, Matt. I think one of the things that stays out to me is because I get lost in, in Revelation. <laughs> I can't. A lot. The main thing that I that I get out of, it, out of these verses is the expansion. Yeah. How many? It's numerous. Everybody. So that gives me great hope yeah. that you know what? It, they can't put a number on how many people exactly. from every nation, every world. It really gives me a hope of okay. Yeah. The kingdom's growing. It's right. not good. It's not just few are going to find it, yes. but at the end we see. It's numerous. Everything that the prophets and promised to Abraham and it, what Jesus it said. It comes yeah. together. So, so many people that we feel are still are lost yep. could hopefully yep. find that. And who knows what comes about. It's a great inclusive number, right? Okay, so we're out of time. So for everybody's hand, write it down. If it was a question, write it down. If it's an answer, write it down. If it's a rebuttal, write it down. And bring it to me next week, and I'll start the screen like right here, <laughs> and I will take all of your questions about that, and then we will push through and read the rest of chapter 7. All right, you did it to yourselves. 13-minute break. 13. <laughs> Go fast. See you at 1030. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>